0: Hello and welcome to the Battlefield Next podcast. My name is Major J.J. Wellemeyer. On today's podcast, we have an interview with Professor Claire Finkelstein, founder and director of the Center for Ethics and the Rule of Law at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. In late September, I sat down with Professor Finkelstein at the conclusion of the Ethical Challenges and the Development of New Weaponry Symposium. During the conversation, in addition to explaining why she founded the Center for Ethics and the Rule of Law, Professor Finkelstein discusses topics related to artificial intelligence, including the intersection of AI and cyber warfare, the issues with AI and legal accountability, and what judge advocates and national security law practitioners can do to navigate this rapidly evolving area of technology and the law. Given our limited time, our conversation covers a small fraction of the legal, ethical, and moral issues that surround AI on the battlefield. Currently, National security law practitioners are grappling with how AI will impact the law of armed conflict For example, how does the use of AI on the battlefield affect the principles of distinction and proportionality? Does it matter whether a weapon system is defensive, offensive, semi-autonomous, or fully autonomous? What are the implications of having a human involved in the loop or on the loop during the decision-making process? These are some of the issues that Brigadier General Patrick Houston currently serving as the Assistant Judge Advocate for Military Law and Operations, addressed in his December 2018 article, Future War and Future Law. For even more detail on these topics, practitioners should also consider reading Army of None by Paul Shar, a book that is referenced in both General Houston's article and my interview with Professor Finkelstein. More narrowly, national security law practitioners should be familiar with some of the policies pertaining to AI, including the Department of Defense Artificial Intelligence Strategy, the Army Artificial Intelligence Strategy Annex, and DOD Directive 3000.09, the DOD Policy on Autonomy and Weapon Systems. In his recent article entitled, Are Killer Robots Really Coming?, Lt. Col. Ryan Beery, the current Chief of National Security Law at U.S. Special Operations Command, uses a future war hypothetical to address some of the legal considerations of complying with this particular directive. For more information about the articles and resources I've just referenced, please be sure to check out the show notes. And finally, before we get to the interview, please keep in mind that the views expressed on the podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense, the Army, or the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center in school. And now, here's the interview with Professor Finkelstein. Uh, thank you for sitting down with us today with the uh, Battlefield Next podcast. If you could start off by just providing an overview of the Center for Ethics and the Rule of Law.
1: I started the Center for Ethics and the Rule of Law in 2012 uh, because I felt that the general public, as well as law students uh, and really practitioners as well, needed to enter into a dialogue around ethical issues and rule of law aspects of our national security practice. We had had a lot of challenges after 9-11 up to that point. uh, The enhanced interrogation program had left a lot of scars in the country, I think. Um, And I felt that there was a need to gain greater moral and legal clarity around our national security practices. But I also felt that um, budding lawyers needed to learn what their duties were um, as officers of the court and as uh, potentially public leaders in the space so that they could, in some sense, help the country stay on track both morally and legally. Uh, We often have the feeling that government actors ought to have uh, a clearer ability to guide the country uh, And that government lawyers had, in some sense, led us astray prior to that moment in the hysteria and panic that surrounded 9-11. So I felt that it was really important for new lawyers to emerge from law school and to enter the practice with a a very clear understanding of the duties that lawyers had, the understanding of what ethical practice was really about, an understanding about how lawyers can be ethical leaders in the community, and particularly for public servants and for public servants involved with national security. One reason why, as an ethics organization, we focus on national security and armed conflict is because there the choices are often starkest. You have to, on the one hand, weigh what the country may need for its defense, and sometimes that's not always the most ethical thing in the short run, against principles and values, international law, and ethical practices. Uh, And sometimes, all too often, when we feel pressured, we feel at a tight corner. Um, From the standpoint of national security, it's tempting. to take shortcuts and uh, it's tempting to go for that solution which in the short term will seem to give us an advantage, but in the long term has real cost for the country. And I felt that um, the country had made some serious mistakes and that we had compromised our ability to be moral leaders across the world. Um, and those mistakes were in part made by lawyers so I think that in, um, in civilian contexts in particular, we don't take moral leadership seriously enough, and we don't train our lawyers well enough in the value that they can bring in the way of moral leadership to the situations they deal with and to their clients.
0: I wanna switch gears a little bit and talk about um, artificial intelligence. I know the reason why I'm here is earlier today, there was a, a panel discussion that, that talked about artificial intelligence to a certain extent, and, and you were the moderator. Could you talk a little bit about the intersection of AI and cyber warfare?
1: Sure. Well, let me just start by saying that Searle really started uh, cutting its teeth on ethical issues surrounding new uh, weaponry and new technologies. Um, so we st- our very first conference was a conference on drone technologies Um, uh, And we produced a volume out of that uh, called Targeted Killings, um, which was a study of the challenges uh, surrounding asymmetric warfare, particularly on the technological side. And um, we believe that new technologies implicate sometimes uh, new or unique ethical quandaries. And that is uh, nowhere more the case than in AI and autonomous systems. We've seen challenges in general AI that the population has been dealing with, anything from chatterbots to um, autonomous vehicles to autopilot systems. Um, And the public is confused. The public is confused about the... um, technical status of those systems, but also about their moral status. Uh, The public is confused about where moral responsibility lies for uh, technological systems that produce ill effects, um, how the private sector and the public sector have to intersect around new technologies, um, and what we should be worried about in the area of uh, autonomous systems and weaponry, there's been a lot of concerns about so-called killer robots and a lot of worries that we were going to sort of hand our (coughs) warfighting capacities over to autonomous systems uh, where there there would be no accountability and where there would be no um, human control over the systems, where there would be a, uh, loss of accountability and uh, a loss of mercy. Uh, And so very often the complaints are heard that, well, if we have autonomous systems uh, that are making decisions and really functioning autonomously, uh, we won't have instances of human mercy uh, that we sort of count on um, and that we can't quantify or we can't exactly program for. At the same time, on the side of cyber war, we're also seeing that our common defense may require us to react in, uh, at speeds um, and with certainty that human operators maybe can't assure. Uh, so it, we can imagine um, very easily cyber attacks that are potentially so devastating and so um, difficult to stop Uh, that we have to react faster than a human operator could possibly react. I see AI and autonomous systems as potentially most useful and most important uh, in our defensive capacity in responding to cyber attacks. Uh, And so at the same time that we're very worried about autonomous technologies and the general public is very worried about killer robots, uh, the public also has to understand the level of threat we face and how serious uh, cyber attacks can be for the future. We tend to silo our thinking about cyber attacks, and we tend to think, okay, a cyber attack is only going to take out cyber capabilities. And, you know, after all, what do we need the internet for? Uh, it's important, but couldn't we live without it? And how serious could a cyber attack be? But what the general public doesn't understand is that a cyber attack uh, could not only take down important civilian infrastructures like our energy grid, um, our communications, satellites, our, um, our, f- our financial systems, but could literally make it impossible for our troops to maneuver um, and for our um, geopositioning devices to function and so on. Um, And so these days, there is really not a system that we depend on that isn't in some way vulnerable to a cyber attack. Uh, Cyber capability is becoming faster and faster. And we know that 5G, when it finally comes on board, will be a a game changer in that regard. Um, And that means that the human response time um, has to get faster and faster to respond to that and to adequately protect our interests. And it's just not clear that human beings have the capacity to respond as quickly as we need. So it may not be really an option for us to forego autonomous systems and autonomous processes, especially in the domain of cyber, but while we're busy deploying them and developing them, we have to make sure that we understand both the moral and the legal pitfalls, um, and the potential human tragedies that can occur from an unconscious or unthinking use of autonomous technologies.
0: It struck me um, when you said "killer robots." Use the term "killer robots," and I know that that's the title of a, of a chapter in in the book uh, "Army of None," which is a uh, a highly recommended book in military circles by Paul Shar by Paul Shar could you talk a little bit about autonomous systems and and accountability
1: well there's a common belief that uh, if we deploy autonomous technologies we will have a problem with accountability. Uh, people think that uh, if a machine is really making the decision then who could possibly be accountable? Uh, if we have a self-driving car, for example, to, to take a case from general AI rather than from weaponry, um, the worry is that if an autonomous vehicle causes an accident, um, as has happened a few times, uh, there's no one we can hold accountable for that because normally we would hold the driver accountable and here the driver is just a, um, a hunk of metal um, with, with no human agent inside. And I really think that's a a mistake. I think there are complexities of accountability, but I don't think that that's one of them. And let me explain why. Um, We have all sorts of doctrines in the law that identify responsibility for human agents for activities of non-responsible agents one such doctrine is vicarious liability. So if you own a wild animal, for example, you keep a tiger in your backyard. If that tiger escapes and uh, attacks the two-year-old next door, you're as liable as if uh, you intentionally plan such an attack. Um, uh, that is, there's no problem with your responsibility. You might not be as culpable but you're certainly responsible for the, for the acts of that wild animal. Now, thought about one way that wild animal is an autonomous system, right? An autonomous system that the owner of the animal has responsibility for. And indeed, if you think about self-driving cars or other mechanical autonomous systems, we would have arguably more responsibility for those systems because we designed them. We haven't designed the tiger. So I think it's a mistake, uh, almost a category mistake, to think that autonomous systems will defeat our ordinary concepts of responsibility. But there are AI systems and uh, autonomous processes in cyberspace that are more complex from the standpoint of responsibility. So, when we have bad effects on the internet, in general AI, um, it is often very hard to pinpoint responsibility because there are so many causal factors. One example um, is a system that Microsoft released some time ago called TAY, it was a chatterbot system. And uh, it was intended to interface with users and people on the internet to chat about various, various items. And after 16 hours, Microsoft had to take down that system because it was designed to learn from its environment. And what did it learn? It learned to make racist remarks, it l- learned to uh, spout all sorts of obscenities and to say uh, disturbing and crude things because that's what it picked up from its environment. Now that's a classic case of um, multiple causes creating an effect. And because the internet is so expanded uh, over so many users, over so many different influences, when you combine those influences with uh, design responsibility, it is often very hard to identify who would be responsible. An analogy from a different domain would be if you had multiple factories lining a river and they were all dumping pollutants into the river and the river was polluted because there were so many users dumping so many pollutants, would you be able to identify the responsibility of any single polluter? Well, no, and that's been a problem when you try to hold... Uh, industry or individuals liable for effects that they only partially contribute to. So the internet is like a great big common waterway in which there are bad effects that happen to to people, to organizations. Um, And you can imagine the analogy out there in military cyberspace, because there are always gonna be multiple influences. So we're gonna have to be very, very savvy as we deploy these technologies. We have to be very savvy about autonomous technologies, but even savvier about AI-based technologies that learn from their environment. Those are two different issues, but I think we need to be very careful when an AI system is deployed on the battlefield, that what it is learning from its environment is what we want it to learn, and that that content is already infused with our values.
0: If I understand your remarks, you're not necessarily concerned with the issues of accountability and responsibility so much, but what about these technologies does concern you uh, from a a legal standpoint? What keeps you up at night?
1: What worries me a lot is when we think about um, unplanned effects of autonomous systems that, that we really haven't had a chance to test out a lot. So if we think about AI systems deployed on the battlefield, we think about problems like one AI system encountering another. Right? We don't know what happens when one AI system encounters another. We do have worrisome examples though where Amazon was, um, had a book pricing system that priced the uh, cost of a book at, I don't know, a penny less or uh, a penny more than the going rate And another bookseller, let's just call it Google, um, priced a penny more, let's say. And the two systems met in cyberspace. Well, before anybody noticed, after about a week, an ordinary paperback was selling for over (laughs) $1,000. Because these two autonomous systems met in cyberspace, um, and uh, the results were totally unpredictable, and it took a while for the human... Um, supervisor uh, of that system to realize what was going on. So I worry about autonomous systems interacting with other autonomous systems. And we absolutely can't assume when we're developing this technology uh, that we're going to be the only, only users. We have to assume development across the board for different countries.
0: I want to ask you a question, um, and maybe this will be the last question, about what judge advocates can do to prepare in this realm. Um, it's pretty clear over the over the last decade that cyber and some of these technologies are starting to become more and more uh, pervasive and uh, integrated at different echelons. What can a judge advocate do? What sorts of resources can they look to to help think about these issues before they approach them in the field?
1: The most important thing is to try to understand how our traditional rules of war and our traditional principles of just war theory may apply to newer technologies. Because there's a tendency to say, you know what, it's a new technology, therefore none of the old rules apply. Let's just toss them out and come up with a new normative framework. And and you know what, there really aren't any new normative frameworks. Maybe we have to do some adaptation around the edges, but Time and time again we find that actually our old normative frameworks are up to the task and we just weren't thinking hard enough about how to apply them. So the most important thing I would say for JAGs who are so deeply schooled in our rules of war and in our theory of war uh, and in principles of moral leadership and character development and all those things that we so respect the armed services for. They should think long and hard about going back to basics, thinking about how basic principles of distinction, basic principles of proportionality, um, uh, LOAC, how all of that may very well apply to current technologies. You know, when the crossbow was invented, everybody said, oh, killing at a distance, oh no. It's a terrible thing, Uh, morally speaking, shouldn't we have hand-to-hand combat? Well, uh, we've had technological developments for all of our history, and it may be that those developments are coming faster and more furious now, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the principles governing their use uh, or the principles that ought to govern their use have changed. We just need to be uh, deeper thinkers about how they may apply.
0: Professor Finkelstein, thank you very much on behalf of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. I just want to thank you again. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. For more information related to FCD, you can follow us on Twitter at JAGFCD or by visiting our webpage. Finally, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to Battlefield Next on your favorite podcast app. While this is a podcast created by U.S. Army Judge Advocates from the Future Concepts Directorate, Our goal is to reach other judge advocates and lawyers across the DOD, law students, and members of academia. Your reviews help make this possible. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time on Battlefield Next.